If you please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 6. We're taking a, a one-week break from looking at the parables in the book of Matthew, and we're looking today about what it means to fast and pray. And so as Neil has already given us the um, announcements, you can see that we have a concert of prayer that's coming up on the last uh, Sunday of the month. And since it's a fifth Sunday, we're going to have the concert of prayer. Um, obviously, we're still looking for our assistant pastor, and that's our starting to go on some few months, and people are starting to go, when are we going to get the guy? I'm asking the same question. Um, would love to have this guy here sooner rather than later. So we want to take the time and make sure that we are keeping our focus where our focus needs to be. And a lot of times that means uh, sometimes we pray about it, but we don't fast about it. And many times people don't know what fasting is unless you grew up in a church where they either, uh, as a Protestant, made you fast during the Lent time where you had to give up something. And, and so uh, my mom made us give up something during Lent. So the time of the Fat Tuesday, okay, right? So that's the Mardi Gras kind of aspect. So you get Fat Tuesday and you do everything that you're not supposed to do for the next six weeks. Um, leading up to Easter. And if you're Catholic, obviously you've been forced to do some of this uh, fasting kind of stuff and forced to eat fish on Fridays and all those fun things. And so a lot of times fasting becomes a burden. Um, And fasting was never meant as a burden in the scripture. It was a time where we could our focus upon God and him alone. And so uh, as you look in this passage, you'll see, because again, we're kind of jumping in, we're not taking the context. So the context is where Jesus is talking about these acts of righteousness. So he talks about giving, he talks about prayer, and then ultimately he talks about fasting. And these are normal and expected things that we're supposed to do as acts of righteousness. And so we remember the words that Jesus gave when he was tempted after he had fasted and prayed for the 40 days. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let's look to the mouth of the Lord this morning, starting at verse 5 in chapter 6, going to verse 18. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others or trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others or trespasses... Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is the word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so, Father, may this not be a 
a thing that we were warned about, that we wouldn't just be doing this just simply to get accolades or just to try to do things to be seen. But Father, we would take your teaching and apply it, that we would do our prayer and our giving and our fasting in secret places to your glory, but for the good of others. And we know that you who sees the secret things would bless us. But Father, be with us as you come through the public preaching of your word. May we apply it. And as we apply it, may it change us so that we look more like Christ. For this we pray in his name. Amen. So the questions we're going to be asking about the fasting today has to do with three questions. And the first one, and this is from last week. So, we're, so okay, so can we just simply, I'll go back. Okay, so you're not going to have the outline. So it's, it's, it was there, I know. I did, I earned my paycheck this week, I promise. <laughs> it's, it's there, it's just in another one, I guess. So... Do I have to fast is the first question. So fill it in in your little blanks on your paper. And the first question we ask is fasting required. Now in the Old Testament, if you look back in the Old Testament, there seems to be only one requirement that was there. And the one requirement was during the Day of Atonement. Now remember, this is where the priest goes and he offers um, a sin offering for himself, and then he offers a sin offering for the people. And he goes in before the mercy seat of God. And so what he does is he tells all the people to go out and fast, to prepare themselves to come so that they might be prepared to receive the blessing that God's going to give them the forgiveness of their sins and so this happens in Leviticus 16 you can go back and look at it and so it's a time where there's the the fasting that's required in the day of atonement but every other example of fasting happens to be voluntary and there are many old testament opportunities that we see of fasting there was Moses who fasted for 40 days um, there was David who fasted multiple times Daniel who fasted Queen Esther fasted also Elijah plus others um, and you can find it in the Psalms as well so there's many examples of fasting in the Old Testament. Now, if we move to the New Testament, we find that it's voluntary the whole time in the New Testament. There's never a requirement or a demand to fast. Never a requirement. Now, there is an assumption, and you can see it even in the passage we have this, this morning, because it says in verse 17, but when you fast... So there was an assumption that this was a part of a healthy spiritual experience. It was something that was a regular practice, something that they were used to, because it was a time where they became dependent on God's grace. So it was something that was good and profitable. It was never meant to be burdensome, because what happens in fasting is, is a place where it drives us to God. And when it drives us to God, it gives us a new perspective and a renewed reliance upon him. So it takes the the pressure off of us and it puts us back in a place where we're saying we want God to be the single most important thing in our lives. And so we're going to make sure that we do everything to point back to him. Now, as we look at that, do I have to fast? The second question we ask is how do I fast? Now, First of all, we have to remind ourselves that anyone can fast for any reason. And so there are people who fast in prison. There are people, religious people, that fast for to bring issues to bear on the world. There are people who fast um, for a lot of things. 
But there's a lot of people who um, fast as hypocrites. How do we know that? Well, Isaiah 58 that uh, Chris read for us earlier is telling people, hey, you're fasting, but you're fasting in a way that you're only doing half-heartedly. And so why would God listen to some of us or any of us if we're only doing it halfway or we're only going to do it um, to get something out of the deal? See, we have to make sure that our motives are right. We have to go with hearts that are ready to go and to fast and to pray and to humble ourselves. So this is a simple definition. It's a voluntary absence from any normal function for a specified period of time for spiritual purposes. I'll say it again. It's a voluntary absence from any normal function for a specified period of time for special purposes. Now, this means that it could be anything. Okay? So it doesn't always have to be food. And we'll go through the types of fasting that were there in the, in the scripture. But it could be from anything. If you are so revolved around chocolate, maybe that's the thing that you should give up. Maybe it's social media. Maybe that's the thing you've got to put down. Maybe it's talk radio. Maybe it's the news. Maybe it's your kids. No, don't listen. No. Take care of your kids. But is there something in your life that you could give up for a period of time that would help bring your focus back upon God and him alone? See, that's what fasting is calling us to for a specified period, but also for a very spiritual purpose. Now, the second thing that we have to understand is that it's a private affair. See, what was happening is there was a false humility. Because again, as I did this study, what happened is in the beginning, it wasn't a bad thing for people to go around and um, be in sackcloth and ashes, Okay, we heard that again from what Chris read in Isaiah 58, because there was in the beginning a true mourning for their sin. So people would go around and they would uh, walk around and they would be in their sackcloth and ashes. And again, you only did that if you were mourning for a loved one who had passed away. But then people would say, well, who, who passed away? And they would say, no, I'm so overwhelmed by my sin nature that I'm, I'm mourning for it because I'm confessing my sins to God and I'm giving up. Well, what happens, though, is that as it later, as it continues to go on, what happens is people stop doing it just to, to be mourning for their sin. They wanted to be noticed because they were hearing things like this. Well, isn't that person holy? It's like when we start to look at other people at the externals and go, oh, well, they don't drink. They don't smoke. They don't cuss. They don't go to bad movies. They don't do all these kind of things. Aren't they holy people? That's not what defines you. The motive is in the heart. You can do all those things and still be a hypocrite. Some of the people that that I struggle with the most are the ones who are most self-righteous. Who try to clean up the nicest because they're the ones who still find themselves in a place where they're not trusting in grace. They're trusting in their own power, their own strength. And when that happens, we find ourselves in positions and places where we don't need to be. And God says, come in and for uh, when you confess your sins, he removes it as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. It's a God thing. It's not a you thing. And so we find ourselves going uh, and finding ourselves in the midst of do we want accolades from man or do we want the accolades from God who sees in secret? 
And God's very clear that our fasting should be a thing of a private affair. Does it mean sometimes that we're not called to public fasting? Yes, but you still do it privately. You still should be the only one who knows what you are necessarily um, fasting from. Now, now maybe you're, you're tempted and so you tell your family members or whatever, hey, hey I'm going to be fasting from this for the next few weeks or I'm going to be fasting for the next couple days or whatever. Please don't come and buy a, you know, a bag of Hershey's Kishes or whatever. I, I, I can't, that's too big of a temptation. So please know that this is what's going on. But again, it's a private affair. And it's a private affair because what happens is it means that our hearts should be humbled before God. He is the one that we should be seeking after. And so when that happens, uh, we begin to, to say, okay, God, what, what is it that you want? What, what do you want to have going on in my life? And so as we begin to do this fasting, I want you to also know that there's types of fasting. And the first, again, you have to understand that we don't go through this half-heartedly. If you're going to fast, be what I would say all in. Now, there are different types. Now, there's the common fast that we know of where there, you withhold yourself from both food and drink and usually do it for a set amount of time, but you're still allowed to drink water. And so there are a number of examples in the, of this in Scripture where there are people that had what we would know as a common fast. They gave up food and they gave up drink, okay, except for water for a specified period. Now, there's also things called partial fasts, okay? And this is where people will give up certain things uh, or certain pleasures for an extended point of view. Daniel's a great example of this. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel gave up choice food. He didn't give up all food, but he gave up choice food. And he said, I'm going to also not take oils or lotions, things that would help him. And so he refrained from those kind of things for a number of weeks in order to fast and to pray. So there are some things that you could say, well, I can't give up food and water for this amount of time, but I sure can give up steak I can give up lobster, and if you're eating steak and lobster all the time, maybe we need to talk. Um, but there is that reality of, is there something that I can give up that is important to me? Then there's also the full fast, and this is where you have no food or drink, including water. And so you will find examples of this. This is what Esther did. This is what the Apostle Paul did in the New Testament, and they did it for three days. So no food, no water, nothing. And so they fasted and prayed on, uh, to God that things wouldn't happen. But there's also people like Moses and Elijah who had a miraculous 40 days of fasting in this way where there was no food and no water even. Now again, that's a miraculous thing. It's what Jesus does in regards to the temptation before Satan. He fasts a full fast. Now, again, please understand that this isn't calling you, this isn't a new diet. It's not the fasting diet. Okay? Don't think like you do something special when you're doing this. Ask God, what is it that you're calling me to, to give up in pursuit of you? And again, it's not a burden. It's something that drives us to a place where we enjoy God more, not less. 
Then there's the fourth one or the last one. And this is where there's a fast from having union. No relations between a husband and wife. This happens back in the Old Testament in Exodus 19. And it happens in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7. But it's only there for a time and for an express purpose. And so we ask, God, what is it that you want to call me to in regards to fasting? And then what, how do you want me to fast so that I might make sure that I'm doing what you require me to do? And how do you want me to enjoy you in the midst of this? So we have answered the first two questions, but then we have a third. Why do I fast? First thing I want you to understand is this not magic. Okay. This is an aid to our prayers, to our repentance, to a concern for God's work. It's an aid to it. It does not mean because we fast that somehow we've done something extra and now God has to answer our prayer. You want an example? King David was an example of this. Remember where he prayed that the child wouldn't die and he was fasting and he was praying diligently that God would not remove him. And what does God do? God takes the child. So again, this isn't magic. And it doesn't mean that because you fast, that God automatically is going to give you a yes answer. Because we have to understand that fasting doesn't change God. Fasting changes us to have the desires of God. And so as we put this in this perspective in regards to change, we have to make sure that as we confess our sins in regards to this, that it's done in such a way that it's bringing blessings and benefits. Now, before I get to the repentance aspect of it, um, again, think about this. Our desire should be to have the relationship with, with God and that to grow deeper, right? Now, think about this. If you are with your grandparents Okay, or someone that you really like, a family member or a friend, you go because of the relationship and you want to talk to them. You don't go. And, and I know we live in a day and age. And, and, and again, I think as a pastor, I get to see the best of the best of people, but I also get to see the worst of the worst. The worst of the worst, when I find out, is usually after a funeral when people um, had said things or they become little vultures for the things that are left behind. And I find out sometimes that people um, took care of other people or loved other people because they wanted that piece of furniture or they wanted that amount of money. And so I'm going to love the person because of the blessing that I'm about to receive. I think sometimes that's how we get with God, some of us. God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll do this for you. See, our relationship with God, the thing of the fast, the thing that's the greatest thing is our relationship with God himself. It's God we should be pursuing. It's God we should be falling in love with more and more. The blessings and benefits are secondary. If he chooses to answer your prayer positively, that's a blessing. That's not a requirement of God. And even if God tells you no, do we still rise up and say, blessed be the name of the Lord God. For he is good all the time. And he knows what's best for me because he's a loving and perfect heavenly father. 
And so with that in mind, as we're pursuing that, then what happens is he calls us, first of all, to repentance and humility. And so I need to make a confession. I'm making a confession on behalf of me, but also the elders um, and the church. So uh, one of our elders brought up to us at the session meeting that as we have been putting out for the officers over the number of years, um, on the back it says that we uh, have our officers and they, get, um, they go through this process, they get voted on, and they sit a three-year term, then they brought, are brought back up for a, another vote, and then they get the seventh year off. They get a sabbatical. Okay. Now that is not our practice and hasn't been our practice for my 16 years here. So all I've done is I've taken the wording that we brought from covenant prez, um, however many years ago, Oma coming up on 30 years ago, um, kind of a thing. And I print the paper and I don't stop and look. And so that's not your fault, but people think, Hey, you said we're going to be praying about this. We're going to be um, choosing people every three years. And I know that Niels has sat here for 27 years. When the heck is he going to get off? Now he's asking the same thing. Now here's my, here is my temptation. My temptation was to come in here and say, you know what I need? I need more people loving people as elders and deacons, not less. Now that's true. But it still doesn't cover up my sin. Secondly, I can say, you know, this, I, I didn't come here to try to trick you into thinking, well, okay, if I'm only going to vote for this elder for three years, well, then I'll give him a shot. But if I know he's going to be here for 10, he's out. Now, I'm not tricking anybody. We're not trying to trick anybody. But it's still sin that we need to confess, that I need to confess. And so we will rewrite the process. But again, it's not going to be uh, voting every three years. And do our elders need sabbaticals? You bet. They're tired. Just like I'm tired. Just like you're tired. So we need to confess, and it's the thing that God, listen, God says it's our sins that are known as well as the unknown sins. So that's part of our fasting is it's to go to a confession of repentance and saying, God, what is it that you need, to me, need me to repent of? And I bet you, you'll be surprised at what God brings to mind. It might be things that you have been doing for years. It might be things that are little nuanced things, not, not real lies, but what we classify as white lies. Still lies. Maybe it's things that we need to go back to relationships and confess our sins. Maybe it's corporate things that need to be confessed. See, that's what happens in regards to the, the people. Israel, remember, how many times did Israel have to come back in confession because they as a people left the Lord? Nineveh, a whole city, remember, they fasted and prayed when the king told them to repent once that, um, he, they came and they heard the gospel message. But also individual people. So we're supposed to repent and be humble before the Lord, have him remind to us the things. And then, as you have opportunity and please understand, I've had, to, I've had to do this myself as well as other people that I've heard of. Maybe it's things where you have cheated on things and you've had to go back. Maybe you need to go back to teachers. 
And I tell you the story of Harry Reader. Harry Reader, um, who wrote the book that we studied this past summer, he went back because he cheated on some exams, and so he had to go back to his professor. And his professor, 30 years later, still had all the grades. And he went back and he put in zeros for Harry Reader. So his grade went from an A to a C. Maybe it means us losing our paper that says we've graduated. Maybe you've stolen something. One of the biggest things that was shocking to me was how many people uh, go back to the IRS and give money because they cheated on their taxes. And the guilt starts to come in. I, I don't know where your life is, but all of us should be praying, God, you humble us. Please cause our sin to be manifested so that we might confess it. And as we confess it, that you would make us clean and pure. Give us a pure heart, our Lord. May we pray that like King David from Psalm 51. And then God hears our prayers. And so there's a repentance and humility, but there's also times where we fast to seek after God's, uh, to seek God himself and his wisdom. Sometimes it happens in regards to critical situations. Remember the demon-possessed man? Jesus sends out the disciples and he says, go out and I've given you charge over those who have those demons and stuff like that. And they get to one specific guy and they're not able to cast out this demon. They go back to Jesus. And Jesus says in Matthew 17, he says, you have to do this one by prayer and by fasting. Because sometimes we are, and we forget, I think, that we're in a spiritual battle and we think that somehow in our own power we can do things. But God's always calling us back to say, do you have a faith that's based in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit? Is there, that's how you're fighting? Are you fighting and just putting on a spiritual uh, understanding and overture? We have to go within the spiritual battle that God has given to us. We have to put on all of the aspects, faith, truth, righteousness. And so we go into the battle and Jesus says, this one has to be by faith and it has to be by prayer and by fasting to cast out this demon. And in that same passage, I just want you to understand, he says, if you had the faith of a mustard seed. So it's not this great, we don't have to be these great, powerful giants of the faith. Just are we being faithful? He tells us this in regards to critical situations, in regards to sickness, protection and deliverance. We know this from other armies when people would intercede and they would go before the Lord and fast and pray. But it's also about God's work and his kingdom. God, what do you want us to do? So it's Peter and Joppa in Acts chapter 10. It's the Christians at Antioch in Acts chapter 13. It's Christians here at Northside coming together in unison praying and fasting for an assistant pastor. It's people here at Northside coming together and praying and asking God, what is my role in ministry? How are you going to use me and my gifts in this church to minister to other people? Are you praying that? And again, it, and we, we talked about this even this past week in my family household, and we were talking about just because God presents something doesn't mean you're the answer to everything. Because again, we can guilt each other into everything, right? The worst thing that I need to do is go to a missions conference 
Why? Because every time I hear a new missions thing, whether it's, hey, we really need missionaries in Haiti. I need to go to Haiti. But then the next one I hear, well, you need to go to Africa. Well, I need to go to Africa. The next one I hear is we need to go to India. Well, now I need to go to India. Well, how am I going to do this? Am I going to be on a a one-week hiatus from each place? Am I going to go to Haiti one week? Am I going to go to Africa the second week? And then to India the third week? And then to the Philippines on the fourth week? And then I come back for a sabbatical because I'm tired and I've done nothing except be guilted? See, I mowed the yard for one person, but I didn't mow the yard for another person. So do I like one person better than another? No. Because God said, you have the opportunity and you have the means to do this one. You don't for this one. Let me fill that spot. So it's God who moves and he he starts to put us in a position, but we have to be asking the question. And I think we have to ask the question, God, am I the answer to this prayer? Am I the answer to this opening in ministry? And God is faithful to answer that. And only that we need to be in prayer and fasting so that we might evangelize the lost. A couple years ago, I gave the charge. Maybe it wasn't a charge, but I definitely said, you know how we double the size of our church? Everybody go out and preach the gospel, invite one other person to church. And now look around you. Have we doubled in size? No. Oh, well, now pastor's making us feel guilty. No. But I do ask the question, who have you gone to? To evangelize. And I can't, don't get guilted into this. It's not a burden. But you should be asking the question God, who have you called and put on my heart? Do you have to do and invite 60,000 people to your house like the Wilsons on Thursday nights? No. But are you doing evangelism to anyone? Because God doesn't give us an option on that one. He says, go, therefore, and preach and live it out. So ask the question, who's the one person? And again, it's not a guilt-ridden thing. If you are going and it's a guilt-ridden thing, then you're not evangelizing. It should be a joy. You should be walking around your neighborhood and saying, God, who is it that you want me to speak to? Who do you want me to wave to? Who do you want me to develop a relationship with? Because I want these people to be in my church or to some Bible-believing church so that they can worship you, so that we can get to know them so much better when we're in heaven. God, give me that heart that I love the, the, the unlovely, Lord. Those who are struggling and hurting, give me the heart to love them. And now send me, send me. And if God sends you to one person, that's one person that you've made a difference in. Glory to God. And then we also see that we come together for revival. We need revival to come to us first and then to the whole world. If we are asking God, please create within me a clean heart, oh God, he hears that prayer and he answers that prayer and he makes us look more like Jesus. And that's a dangerous prayer. And I say that with all honesty, because the day that you say, I want to look like Jesus and I want to be like Jesus, 
That's a call to a hard, hard life. Because I don't know if you're like me. People don't get sick on my schedule. God, I want people to get sick and go to the hospital between 9 and 4 p.m. So that while I'm here at church doing my work, I can go to the hospital, feel good about myself. I don't want the 2 o'clock in the morning phone call. I don't want the 4 o'clock in the morning text. But does he call me to be there at 4 in the morning as well as 4 in the afternoon? The last thing in regards to fasting and prayer is the answers. We should expect answers directly. God answers our prayers. Not always the way that we want him to. But he answers them. But more than anything, he drives us to his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. So that when he answers in a way that we're not happy about, we still cry out, my good, loving, faithful father. Thank you for your mercy and grace. For they are new every morning. So that's our charge. So again, this should be a regular part of your life. So it's not just coming up for the concert of prayer. You should be asking God, God, when and how often do you want me to fast for different things in your life and in my life? God, how do you want me to fast? Is it going to be a a normal fast? Is it going to be a partial fast? Is it going to be a, a full fast for a certain period of time? God, how do you want me to go into this process? But then ask him, why are you wanting me to, to go into this fast? Maybe it is for repentance and humility. Maybe it's like we're doing, or I'm asking you to do, to pray for the work of God in his kingdom here at Northside. But God, how do you want us to fall deeper and deeper in love with who you are? I guarantee you, you've asked that prayer And he's faithful to answer that prayer as well. So people of God, be called to giving, praying, and fasting. For these are the acts of righteousness. And your Father who sees in secret will bless you. Be ready for the blessing. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come into your presence, Lord, Lord, I pray that, again, Lord, this is so hard sometimes because so many people hear this and they think that I'm trying to guilt them into doing something that they don't want to do or guilt them into something for doing something for Jesus. And Father, I know that's not your intention and it's not mine. But Father, you never told us that you were going to make our lives comfortable either. And so, Father, sometimes we need to feel uncomfortable and to squirm a little bit so that we get up and we do the things that we know are right and that we're called to do. And so, Father, we know that you're perfect. 
And so, Father, as we come to you and as we fast and as we pray, we know that you will be faithful and that you will set before us the agenda that needs to happen for us. For us individually and for us corporately and for us as your church and your kingdom. And so, Father, I do pray that you would change us. Lord, I do want to be like Christ. But, Lord, not all the time. And so, Father, when I struggle and when I fail, when we struggle and when we fail, may we run to you where we hear the words of your forgiven And I throw your sin as far as the east is from the west, and I remember it no more. And I give to you the righteousness of my son, who was perfect, so that you might stand before me, and I hear your prayers, and I answer them, and I love you with an everlasting love. Father, we're so grateful for your gospel message And so, Father, continue to change us. Continue to have us grow in righteousness. Not to earn your love, but because we are loved. And so, Father, give to us that desire to spend more time with you in a real relationship, loving you more and more every day. And we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit, But we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ.